Two sisters lived on separate sides of the states. One in NYC and the other LA. They both moved to Chicago and decided to stay. Now here's their playful podcast packed with Kid Mitt Parley. Children's books. Are they really that great? Talking children's books is with Kate and Hughes Eight. Children's books. Why, what, and how? Kate, I got you a present. Ooh, I love presents. Ah, uh, it's it's a little uh, I, I it's a li- it's a little new president. Oh, I got you a new president. Are you happy? A little. If you new... don't like it, I'll get you a new one in four years. But no, um, actually, I don't really want to get you a new one in four <laughs> years. I think I'm kind of happy with this one. I think you should probably keep it. Okay. Okay. It's a, it's definitely a new feeling in the air. Yeah. Kind of like when like Obama came in and there was that whole sense of hope, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm, I'm getting mm-hmm. that that feeling again. But uh but with a lot more executive orders <laughs> right off the bat. So yes. that's that's different. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I like that. And I think that's a a good new trend. And the first uh shelter dog to be in the White House. Really? I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, oh, he, that's sweet. He had his own indoctrination. Okay, and on that note, we are ending the podcast Aww. forever. I'm sorry. <laughs> it, I didn't we've come hit a low up point. With it. A low... Was, the shelter came up with that, which of I thought was in Delaware. Did. I thought that was really sweet. Okay, that's very sweet. I will I will admit that. And besides talking about uh, sweet things like that, who are you? I am Kate. And I am Betsy. This is Fuse 8 and Kate, the podcast where we... Well, what are we talking about? Dogs. And... Presidents. And... Kids books? And yeah, wait, no, that's right. Yes, kids books. Yes, we talk about picture books and whether they should be classics or not. And occasionally the term picture book gets a bit, a bit broad, I would say. Um, For example, uh, today's book, I have to say, well, first of all, I should say about today's book, it's rare. Um, This is an out of print book that we are doing. It is a cult classic. So we are returning to the to the cult classics, which I've done with you occasionally, you know, your lonely dolls, mm-hmm. you know. I've got, a, I've got a bunch that I've been sort of waiting to do. So today's book was actually a gift to me um, by my co-writer on my book, Wild Things, Peter Ceruta, uh, who knew the author and knew that I really wanted to get my hands on this book. And so he, he gave me a copy, which I did not realize how special that was at the time. So I'm going to pull the book out now. Suzuki Bean. By? By Sandra Scopitone. Sure. I don't know. I don't know. I've always called her that. Why not? Okay. And illustrated by? Louise Fitzhugh. That's correct. Okay. Yes. The name Sandra Scopitone, not particularly well known, but does the name Louise Fitzhugh ring any bells at all? Nope. Harry the Spy. Was the the creator of Harriet the Spy? Remember, do you remember that book at all, Harriet the Spy? I remember the title. Okay, There's well, a book when we do our Harriet the Spy. <laughs> all right, when when we do the spinoff series of me giving you full grown children's books, wait, what? We'll be sure to do that one it, it, any day now. Uh, in the meantime, normally I would hand this to you to read, mm-hmm. but you've already read this uh, about fifteen minutes ago. Yes. Oh, really? Then I'm going to have to do my background information with you sitting right here. Not okay. that that's awkward or anything. While Kate doesn't do her read, <laughs> so online, Louise Fitzhugh gets a lot of credit for this book. 
The writer, however, was Sandra Scopitone. Now, if you want to know about this book, I just happen to have here in my hands a newly released copy of the brand new biography, Sometimes You Have to Lie, The Life and Times of Louise Fitzhugh, renegade author of Harriet the Spy, out right now. The book was written by Leslie Brody, and it gives sort of a play-by-play of the birth of this book. Sandra and Louise were, in Louise's words, friends, then lovers, then friends again. But they were writing partners always. And they wanted to write together, but they didn't know where to begin. So why not start with a spoof? Uh, They saw the book Eloise by Kay Thompson, and they said, this is ripe for parody. So Louise drew Suzuki, who was named after a Japanese motorcycle, uh, and she based the character on a young Sandra. Now, Sandra apparently wrote this book in one night. It was important to them that the book be both a kid's book and something adults could read as sort of a novelty gift. Uh, They fought over the dedications. Ultimately, Louise dedicates it to her mother and Sandra to her mother and father. Louise wanted to only to go to mothers, but Sandra actually liked her father, so that didn't fly. They gave it to their literary agent, Gloria Sapphire, who immediately sold it to Doubleday. Sandra said the speed of Suzuki Bean's acceptance blinded her to the reality of publishing. No book ever came together or sold as swiftly and easily for Sandra or Louise as Suzuki Bean. And you never left. Nope. All right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, the first impressions. I, it, I don't get kids' book vibe off of it, but the cover page says uh, the wonderful adventures of Suzuki being a lovable little hipster. But wouldn't she, if she's the daughter of beatniks, wouldn't she be a beatnik, not a hipster? So she talks like a beatnik. She definitely has, and I don't think hipster is. The term that we know it by today, I think hipster back then was another term for beatnik. Because after the beatniks came the hippies. And in fact, if you look at this book, my husband loves this book. And he's like, this book is, so she's she's friends with a boy who's a square. um, And she's like the daughter of beatniks. And he's the daughter of rich, you know, yuppies. Um, And then they kind of like go off to do their own thing. And as, as my husband Matt says, it's like, that's the birth of the hippie movement. Where you had these two, like the children of the beatniks and the children of the of the rich people, and they kind of went off to like try to start their own new world. So hippies came after this, but I think hipster means beatnik. Okay. All right. If anyone knows the semantics and the birth, <laughs> get the O E D on hipster because I would love to know the birth of that. Well, right away we know that she's poor because it says that they don't have like a lot of. She says bread, but that means. Money. Money. Isn't there a glossary in the back? There is a glossary. Yeah. That was ahead of its time. Yeah. (laughs) You can't find a children's book without a glossary today. But you can also see there's a mattress on the floor that doesn't have, like, any sheets on it. Right, yeah. But then there's a blank canvas on the wall above it. Is that supposed to be art? Art? Well, maybe. So I'm at, like, page nine, and I have in my notes, what the hell is going on here? (laughs) Because they're talking about, like, suicide and murder and i'm like do i need to be on drugs to read this because i sure feel like you it. have to be on tea that's code you know so she's got these the um these classmates that are reading dr seuss right. so you gotta think that they're what like six seven she's got to be around six seven but mm-hmm. she's talking about like reading jack kerouac who is this chick? <laughs> he didn't do that many kids' books, I can tell you that much. I 
I, but, <laughs> also, simple words though simple words Alexa level real low on the caraway but she also mentions Pat Boone that's adorable she mentions Pat Boone in what context does she mention Pat Boone it's after she reads a poem about hating dogs um, <laughs> th- that she's got the dunce hat on and it says uh, this proves how square Miss Shoemaker is Miss Shoemaker is the teacher mm. Uh, like she ought to marry Pat Boone. Ah, that's funny. Pat Boone's such a straight edge, like boring Christian singer dude. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Okay, because if I don't know who Pat Boone is and I'm in my 30s, mm. how is a kid supposed to get that reference? Ooh, a kid back in the 60s probably got it. But she doesn't like dogs, so I don't like her. I'm... She thinks that all dogs are for is pooping but she doesn't say pooping. if you lived in new york the city line is before blank. they hold on, hold on. picked the, up the, the poop the line is blank it doesn't say like the actual word because there's an asterisk and it says the publishers are a bit square themselves <laughs> meaning the publishers won't say what she wrote right which was a swear word probably yes i okay <laughs> all right so then she talks she mentions a ginsburg poem what's a ginsburg Alan Ginsberg. He was one of the beat poets, City Lights, uh, Howl, all that. Okay, I'm just saying this clearly is not a book for kids. Like, well, think of it this way. Eloise had a bunch of weird references in it, too. Oh, don't worry. We'll get to Eloise. Oh, really? Interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So, right. So she befriends this kid named Henry. <laughs> sweet, sweet kid. Mm-hmm. Who, who decides to invite her to his dance classes. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking... Why would Henry want to invite this girl to a dance class? Is it because he needs a partner and she's the only girl he's on speaking terms with? I don't know. Maybe to impress her? Maybe to have other people be impressed with him for bringing her? Henry's motivations are murky. Yeah, well, they get on the subway uh, because he uses the taxi money his mother gives him to buy comic books Mm -hmm. that he can't have. So they get on the subway uh, the first time for her. And so they go to this very old school dance lesson where it's, I, I wasn't quite sure what kind of dance to yeah. expect, yeah. but it seems like it's ballroom. Uh, okay. Judging by the instructor who is a very old lady with a cane. Sure. Um, I'm used to, you know. He probably is not doing ballet. I would agree. Right. And uh, and there's definitely like other little boys and girls that are learning probably box step, waltz. Mm-hmm. That's that's the kind of the feeling I'm getting. Um, and while they're they're doing these dances, Suzuki just starts laughing uncontrollably and starts doing her own type of dance. So let me tell you, I don't usually say this. You usually are the one who chooses the images that you would have as a tattoo. But some of those Suzuki Bean dancing images, I would definitely make as a tattoo. Just one of them. I can even imagine it in my head, but there is one in particular that would make my tattoo. I love that one. The one where she has like cross legs, a huge smile on her face. That is, that is my tattoo. I would totally get that on me. It's if a I, sketchy pen and ink style. Yeah, this very is, natural there's, there's style. no color. I mean, it's... No, no, it's a paper bag book. It's not going to have color. Right. She starts doing her own crazy style of dance, clearly disrespecting any rules. She was obviously set up to fail in an environment like this. <laughs> yeah. Because she's not yeah. ever seen this before. Right. So this is completely out of context for her. It's out of her comfort zone. She makes fun of it. She does her own thing. And she gets kicked out. Right. 
Right. So then they jump in a cab, which, okay, if there's any listeners that grew up in the 60s, can you tell me if you ever saw a kid take a cab in New York ever? That's a good question. I don't know. Because obviously you probably wouldn't see it now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but was that more common in the 60s? You certainly would see kids taking the subway. Uh, I don't know about the cabs. Right. I assume most of the kids wouldn't have money for it, so. Hmm. Well, obviously, this kid has money. Yep. And they're going to go back to his house, where his mother is having her W-A-E-T-C-P-P-A, otherwise known as the Wednesday Afternoon Evening Tea and Cocktail Poetry and Prose Advancement. Oh, party. Oh! There should be another... I was waiting for that last one. There should be another P at the end of this... Advance. No, it's an advancement. That's a thing. Totally right. An advancement. But it's a party. No, it's a party. Why did he leave out the P? I don't know. Okay. Strange. All right. Maybe the P is implied. So then they, they get to the house where they're greeted by Helen, who's the maid and cook and the only person that I like in this entire story. There's a reason for that, and it has a lot to do with the fact Louise Fitzhugh was um, not close to her mother, not close to her father, but was very close to the housekeeper where she grew up, and in her books consistently, you will find that she is, the children really are much close. If there's any grown-up that a child is attached to, it's usually the person taking care of them in some way who is not their parent. Well, we get to this house, you know, they get inside, and then we see uh, Henry's mother. If I was going to have a tattoo, it would be this woman. <laughs> She's just like the epitome of hair. 60s. She's got this blowsy Between the eyebrows, the eyeliner, yeah. the hair. It's a very quick sketch. Yeah, um, but it captures who she is It's very perfectly. 60s. Yeah. yeah, it's very 60s, but it is... Definitely of an economic strata that um, is not. She's hoity-toity. Yeah. Well, this hoity-toity mother is in the middle of this, you know, party where she is honoring this new young poet who decides to read one of his poems. Now, I'm reading this poem of his called The Summering Seeds. um, And I'm just thinking, like, are, are kids even... Paying attention so, to this book anymore? Like, have they moved on so to Mo Willems or like? She Dr. got in Seuss? trouble for this, um, Louise, because they had a friend who was clearly that poet, and he had a poem called "The Wintering Weeds." So he sees this book, and he sends her a note and is like, "Look, if you're making fun of your friend in a book, it makes your friend feel bad." And she writes him this letter that is like. So many excuses. Like, first of all, it was Sandra's idea. Second of all, uh, totally didn't mean to hurt your feelings. I'm totally sorry. I had no idea. Uh, third, it really wasn't meant to be you, but it was clearly you. But it was. It totally wasn't meant to be you. It could have been anybody. Uh, four, it was Sandra's fault. But Going why even well. have this? Like, I was bored reading this. So obviously kids are like not paying attention to this book anymore. I don't know why they wanted this to take a piss it? out of the guy. I mean, they clearly had some vendetta against the poor guy if they could put, like, this huge section in there about but, like, him. But, like, this is not a kid's book. <laughs> this is clearly not a kid's book. Or if it is a kid's book, it's a book for a very specific kind of kid who is forced to sit through poetry readings on a regular basis. Like, I'm bored. And their bored. moms, so, so, you know, salons. At least, like, the books you've given me have been, like, interesting. Yeah. I'm bored at this point. Right, but right. I, 
So, all right. Well, there's more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so oh, yeah. There is, there is definitely more. Henry's mom um, is fascinated by her son's new friend. And clearly, and, and she calls Suzuki a beatnik. Henry's dad uh, is also at this party. Oh, yeah. They have, they have a good picture of him, too, The right? illustration of him. Is, <laughs> He's the world's most interesting man. <laughs> he is a Bond villain. Yeah. He is. He should be stroking a cat. He has an eye patch, he has a tattoo on his hand, and he has cheekbones that could slice through bread. <laughs> like, I, I... Yeah, he's, he's amazing. Why he's at a poetry party, I, I don't understand. Yeah, he's just taking time off of, from his volcano in the sea. You know, they, they ask Suzuki, like, do you... You must have a poem, you know, you're a beatnik. You must... You do. guys live for poetry. And she's like, oh, I've got a poem. And Henry's <laughs> like, no, you don't. And they, like, run into the kitchen... She insults him left and right in his upbringing and his values and what he believes. And rightfully so, he socks her. There you go. Right in the, I don't know, yeah. face, stomach, side, something. Something like that. Yep. So then Helen the Saint runs in to, you know, stop him from destroying, from hitting <laughs> her. And she, I just don't understand. She makes food for them. She speaks the truth about, you know, Suzuki, you are so young, you don't know what is coming out of your mouth. You've just been like told. You're just regurgitating stuff your parents say. Exactly, and you don't yeah. know you, you literally don't, don't know what, what you're saying. saying. Yeah. And then she also provides love because she holds both of them. She gives them kisses and just hugs them and Suzuki says um that this is the most physical contact she's had since her mom changed her diapers mm-hmm. and she doesn't and suzuki never says mom and dad she always refers to her parents by their first, their first name. name yeah that was a real thing for a while there yeah yeah they just prefer to be called by their first names by their children who they clearly didn't want <laughs> right yeah so then suzuki decides to flip the page and instead of Henry showing her his home she wants to show Henry her home right henry is meeting suzuki's mom and he says uh, you know, how do you do, Mrs. Bean, Henry said. And it says, like, wow, Marsha said. Look, at look, it's Mickey Rooney leaving Boys Town. <laughs> but both Mickey and Rooney are spelled wrong. Really? Let me see. At the bottom of the page, they're both missing an E. Maybe this was never edited. Maybe this is just straight out of the typewriter and she misspelled Mickey Rooney's name. Which is kind of weird because I thought everybody knew how to spell Mickey right? Rooney's name. Yeah. <laughs> right? I don't know. But... Clearly, Maybe it's a subtle way of showing her own ignorance. Well, Suzuki clearly learns her rudeness from her parents. Yeah. Because they are so mean to this little six-year-old. Mm-hmm. And Henry, good for him, he stands up for himself. Good. Which... Good. Yes. So rightfully so, Henry grabs his coat and gets out of this house where he's being verbally assaulted sure. by um, his friend's parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Her Nobody parents. Tell him he's not Nick Mickey Rooney. And after after he leaves, her parents say, "Don't bring any more squares from Squaresville around here." Well, Suzuki later says, you know, that she wants to, you know, like start her own like village full of kids where a square could be a square. Okay, just not like ten pages ago, she was insulting him and his family and his values. True. So, but she didn't know him that well, and now she's seeing oh, how so, awful. Well, she's seeing how awful it is to see someone doing that to him who isn't herself. She's like, "Oh, wait a minute, this sucks." 
my behavior has been wrong. You really think in a matter of like 10 minutes, she all of a sudden becomes a better person? Well, when no. you see your parents <laughs> who you don't respect acting poorly towards your friends, you might do a 180 on whatever it was you were doing just so you but could be the opposite already, of them. If you already knew your parents' opinions about these types of people, you probably aren't you might surprised. Have suspected, but you may not have necessarily known. Well, you not that they've ever been anything particularly decent to her either, but well, yeah, it's they she decides to pack up her stuff and leave while her parents are sleeping, and clearly her father looks like he's battling some sort of an addiction. It's entirely possible. I mean, yes. they're sleeping he's on a very mattress. Thin. He's curled up in a ball. Mm-hmm. He's got all sorts of like wrinkles under his eyes. I mean, yeah. at least like five levels. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. This definitely is not like a safe. No, this is not a great situation for her to be in. Yeah. So she she talks to Henry, and they decide that they're gonna go pack up and just leave. So she packs up her Pan Am travel bag. I love it. It's a Pan Am. And he packs up his suitcases. He has two suitcases: a big one full of his personal stuff, and then a small one full of food, like. You know what they have around the house, like caviar and ripe (laughs) olives and four cans of anchovies. I guess he just has the extras of stuff they don't eat around the house, yeah. Right. But then, again, it's this, oh, yeah, you've got way too much stuff. I'm just going to throw out your stuff. And she she goes, she flips back and forth. She said, like, you know, she makes fun of him. And then she's like, we're going to build a place where a square can be a square. Oh, but all of your stuff is awful, so I'm going to throw it out in the river. Like, you know what? If she's working out these issues at six, maybe by the time she's actually in a relationship with somebody, she'll have worked all this out of her system. I just feel so bad for Henry. All of his stuff, except for one rubber animal, which uh, she let him, it says, she <laughs> let him keep for security. Wow, that's good. It's not, that's a horrible. It's weird. I, Okay, so... Is he devastated by this? Well, he... looks he, pretty happy right there. Well, he cries, and then it says he's happy. But is he faking it? Because... Well, we're getting it through her point of view, and she's not the most reliable narrator, so... Right. Yeah. Well, and then they decide to, like, you know, go off into the sunset, into doing whatever they're going to do. And on the back of this book, there's a quote from the Columbus Inquirer that calls her a Greenwich Village... Eloise Mm -hmm. and the Saturday Review calls her the Eloise of the Plaza which both of these are perfect explanations for why I hate this book is because it's Eloise well it's making fun of Eloise it's taking Eloise and taking her type of character and putting her in an entirely different opposite situation okay so instead of making her rich she's poor that's it well instead of making her privileged she lives in, as a beatnik with poor oh, but in both cases <laughs> negligent parents uh in both cases really there's not a ton of similarities though well this is the first book you've given me that's been reviewed by playboy uh so is that true actually it's on the back of this book shell silverstein wrote for playboy so i would not doubt that Probably Playboy reviewed The Giving Tree at some point. Well, the only quote it says here is, Suzuki Bean is really too much. (laughs) Oh, so you agree with Playboy then? You and Playboy like this. Your minds are insane. I mean, people tell me that all the time. That's what I know. And that's, we're done. All right. So, uh, it will please you to no end to know that uh, Desilu 
uh, purchased the rights to this in 1962 for a possible adaptation for a live-action television series. Oh. It was supposed to be starring comedian-musician Victor... I've never known how to pronounce his last name. Borga, I'll say. Um, a television pilot was made with Katie Sweet as Suzuki and Jimmy Garrett as Henry. But the series, this is going to shock you, was not picked up. However, if you go to YouTube, you can see it. And it is far tamer than the book, I would say. She is certainly not the same level. I went to Wikipedia to get some additional information on this book. And uh, I had a problem. Because if you go to the Wikipedia entry for this book, you will find that the Wikipedia entry credits my book, Wild Things, for its information. But it may be because, I mentioned, my co-writer, Peter Saruta, gave me my copy and was friends with Sandra Scopitone. And I think maybe he got information from her and that's why it's in my book, Wild Things. I don't know. Um, Peter, unfortunately, died before the publication of my book. Um, so we cannot ask him a lot of questions about it. But I just want to mention that he has just been uh, appearing in a dedication of a book coming out this April. It's a YA nonfiction title called Violet and Daisy, The Story of Vaudeville's Conjoined Twins by Sarah Miller. And she credits Peter Ceruta. And I just wanted to mention that because it's nice whenever anyone mentions Peter. The rights to this book are fascinating because it's not in print. It go, That copyright there could go for 100 bucks easy on the internet. Apparently, a guy named David Teague bought the rights at some point. When, when um, Scopitone died, I don't know where those rights went, but I guess David Teague got them. He decided to make a sequel to it, but he never brought the book back in print. Um, but if anyone ever wants to read it in full of, in its entirety, I will include a link in the show notes. There's a scribbed website that has the entire book there because, hey, nobody's printing it. Uh, there you go. Ratings time! You loved it. You go first. All right, so um, everything you say is true about it not being for kids, really. I mean, they say it's for kids, but if you even look at it, it's, it's a small, typewritten book with Louise Fitzhugh art, which I love Louise Fitzhugh's art. It was so weird and wild and crazy. It You can definitely see it's sort of a proto- Harriet the Spy sort of coming into being. This was the first book, as I say, that she ever did. Um, but Sandra Scopitone's words, I mean, I find it very funny, but I'm an adult. Of course I find it very funny. These are these are adult jokes. Even at the time, I can't imagine anyone reading this to a kid. So is it a classic? Not a kid's classic, and that's what we're rating. We're rating kids' classics. So no, it is not a kid's classic. Um, I, because I love it, I can't go lower than a four, but it's definitely not a kid. Not not a kid's classic, I'd agree. Yourself? Are you going to say it's a ten? Oh, I hated this. Oh, did you? Uh, Wait, I didn't get that from anything that was said prior to this moment in time. <laughs> yeah, no. Mm. This is uh, not for well, me. That's a shocker. I, I, gave, I gave Eloise a 2.5, Yeah, I feel it's only fair I give this the same rating. Oh, really? Wow. I, really, I think it's so different from Eloise, but I don't know. It's pretty... Huh. Uh, the only difference I so see funny. is that Eloise was rich, she's poor. Yeah, They're both spoof. awful. The end. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> your tagline. <laughs> so okay. not a classic. Letters time. Okay, so how much hate mail did we get from uh, last episode? Nobody. I got a very interesting uh, letter from Daniel, and it's it's about hand, hand, fingers, thumb. Oh. So this is very, very interesting. So he talks about it 
and whether or not the book is racist. Because there's a sort of an understanding that certain tropes in children's literature um, can come across as racist. So he says, I recently came across your podcast when I said to my partner, hand, hand, finger, thumb is racist. And her response was, books with monkeys are not automatically racist, which I agree with. But my main point is that monkeys plus drumming, and it says hand drums don't appear so much in white culture, equals racist. Now, in your podcast about, and I love that he just calls it HHFT, uh, you acknowledge that monkeys and children's books definitely remind us of racist tropes throughout media and popular culture, namely because of black people being referred to as savages and things like Tarzan, etc. But you didn't really comment so much on this specific book, which would have been great. You did say that there was a book that got pushed back from the publisher, which caused the author to change the main character from a monkey to a rabbit. That is true. That is a recent series. Um, recently that happened. Um, I, I think it was the Jack books by Mac Barnett, uh, illustrated by Greg Prizzoli. And he says, I am with my wife here in that it is likely a case of books with monkeys are not automatically racist. But of course, one must always keep in mind the connotations of their work. So similar to your wee ones, our two-year-olds loved Hand Hand Finger Stum. I like it too. It's fun to drum along and, and read the book with a rhythm. We'll probably start phasing it out anyway because she's getting ready for bigger books, but we've got another one on the way. So let me know what you think. Is Hand Hand Finger Stum racist? And I wrote back my response because um, I had to think about that. I was like, well, you're completely onto something there because if the cat in the hat deals with the racism of the blackface era then it's a much smaller stretch to the monkeys with the drums. And my own personal opinion is that hand-hand finger sum is not without problems. Rhythmically, it is marvelous to read aloud, but in the bright white light of the 21st century, it's complicated. Um, and I would love to hear a discussion of this topic on a podcast myself. So if anyone out there wants to do a whole podcast uh, episode on this book, I would absolutely love to hear it. Anyway, I thought that was a very interesting email uh, that he sent to us. I don't remember anything about that book. Yeah, you wouldn't, would you? <laughs> you you weren't a huge fan. I recalled that. You thought it was okay. You were kind of perturbed by the millions of monkeys with millions of drums, and there was oh, like yeah. seas of monkeys, and it looks like the monkey apocalypse coming to, to destroy us all. Yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, you weren't a huge fan. <laughs> all, my problem with it mainly is just the fact that it says it's monkeys, and they don't have any freaking tails, so they're not monkeys. They're apes, Kate. They're apes. Okay. <laughs> Grown up things we like. You go first. Ooh. Um, so I recently, you know, where I'm trying to make my way through the potential movies that may win uh, Oscars at some point. So I watched Mank. So if you have not heard of this film, it is beautiful. Uh, it is made to look like a 1940s, 1950s film. It's black and white, old fashioned title cards. Uh, it's got like, you know when you watch old movies and you see that little black circle in the corner because that's when they were going to change reels? It's it's put those into the scenes. Stars Gary Oldman as uh, Herman Mankiewicz. He was a screenwriter in Hollywood who was hired by Orson Welles to help him make the script for Citizen Kane. It has uh, Amanda Seyfried as Marion Davies. She does a stellar job. All the actors do a great job. The one flaw with the entire thing is that um, the, it's sort of predicated on a lie. In the movie, it makes it look like he gets no help from Morrison Wells. He writes the whole thing himself, all by himself. And when, in fact, 
he wrote a script, Orson Welles wrote a script, and then they put it, put the two scripts sort of together to make the final product. That's not how they show it in the movie. Um, but it's beautiful. It's funny. It's really funny. Um, and just a, just a great old Hollywood thing to write. Oh, and uh, it has uh, one of my favorite actors of all time, Charles Dance, playing William Randolph Hearst. And uh, he's excellent. Very good. Very good post-Game of Thrones role for him. Okay. Make. Cool. Yeah. Uh, mine is, I'm back on Facebook. I saw that. Yeah, I've been off for four years. What? That's so random. What happened four years ago that could possibly have <laughs> inspired one not to be on Facebook? Hmm. Uh, well, you know, there was that. So I figured now would be, you know, we're in the country. We're in a new a time of renewal, rebirth, rejuvenation. New year. Yeah, so I figured, why not? I'll jump back on and see what it's like. And so far, it's been great. Uh, you know, I've been seeing... It's it's like being dead and everyone is coming to my funeral <laughs> and, like, paying their respects. People from, like, elementary school, high school, college, after college, this job, that job, L.A., Vegas, Chicago, like, all different parts of my life are now all coming together. And they're like, oh, hey, what's going on? And it's, it's very nice because I'm alive and I get to appreciate yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. But uh, back... Four years ago, you know, there there was only a like button, and now there's all sorts oh, of things. Oh, you haven't seen, like, the emoji with the hugging the heart. <laughs> and the, you can, like, snooze people. There's all sorts of things Oh, yeah, you can now. do all sorts of stuff, yeah. Yeah, so I'm, yeah. I'm having to relearn uh, Facebook. When I originally joined back when it was, you, you had to have a school email address. That's when I first joined oh, wow. Facebook. Tell me about the young days. <laughs> So, pre. as of right now... Did you have a MySpace page? I, I, yeah, I did. Did you really? Yeah. Oh, man. And a live journal. Did you have a Friendster? No. <laughs> no, but nobody had a Friendster. No. Twins did. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, I'm, I'm, I'm getting back into it. We'll see how long it lasts. My problem with social media is that you tend to compare yourself to others where mm-hmm. they are in life. You know, so I'm seeing True. lots of people with kids and well-developed careers and all sorts of things. And I need to keep telling myself... Actually, a friend of yours t- said this to me, which I thought was, uh, I've, I've taken this every day, that that is their narrative, that is not your narrative. So mm-hmm. every day I have to remind myself, that's their narrative. That's great. That's not mine. And everyone lies on Facebook. That too. Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. it. Hey, all right. <laughs> Huzzah for Facebook? Well, uh, huzzah for reconnecting, reconnecting with People that you like yes. and haven't seen in a while. Yes. There you go. That's a healthier, that's a healthier way of doing it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, shoot, man. I'm not going to, I'm not going to top that. So I'm, I'm just going to end it right now uh, because I've been Betsy. I'm Kate. Bye. Fuse 8 and Kate is a Fuse number 8 production. You can reach us at FuseKate8 at gmail.com. You can follow our podcast on Twitter at Fuse underscore Kate. You can follow us on Instagram at Fuse8Kate. That's Fuse number 8, Kate. Listen to us on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or Player FM. Or follow us on iTunes and rate our podcast if you're so inclined. Our music is by Haddon Kime, and our lovable little hipster is Drew Atienza. Fuse 8 and Kate is a creation of Kate Ramsey and Betsy Bird.